Welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to Deeply Discussing Dexter, Season 1, Episode 5, Love American Style. Uh, I'm here with Eric Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hi. And Zach Roland. Hi. Now I'm your host, Dale Maxfield, and we're going to talk about this episode of Dexter. Uh, episode 5 goes into a, uh, a human trafficking subplot that's sort of the B story of this episode. We're still dealing with the ice truck killer that goes all the way through season one. Uh, and that's where the episode begins with Dexter talking about, uh, he likes to pretend he's alone or there's no one left to act normal for. And Dokes catches him doing this and says, stop grinning like a fucking psycho. Uh, Dexter and the forensics team are working a site where the site where Tucci was held and Masuka and Dexter refer to a bloody sheet as a Jackson Pollock. Just one after the other with the jokes here. Uh, Deb shows up looking out of character in the, the terrible, terrible pantsuit. Dokes is such a hero. Like, every time he shows up, it's just gold. Yeah, this one had the Metsuka. What did I say about the fucking rats? Like, all right, we got that bomb right out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really like this one because it did show sort of uh, a lot of the same main characters that work together in this really weird and gross kind of uh, site. Uh, but yeah, like Masuka's got his thing going on, Dokes has got his thing going on, Dexter's got his thing going on, Deb's got her pantsuit on, <laughs> and so you know, there's just a lot going on. That pantsuit <laughs> is it's, a lot it's good. The pantsuit is actually um, there to cancel out everything that's left over from the Lara Croft outfit from last episode. <laughs> Thank Raining God. in the moment yeah. since like 2006. Yeah. Um, so then later, um, Shonda, the hooker, shows up at Miami Metro to ask Deb to help her with her landlord. And Dokes dresses down Deb for leaving a cigarette butt at the cl- crime scene. Um, there's some stuff that happens later in this episode with Shonda, and I am trying to... My memory is hazy on this, but one of Deb's hookers, and I think it's Shonda, has a prosthetic limb. And I think that's why like they cho- choose her later on to go see Tucci. But I don't think it's been introduced in the actual show at this point. And maybe I'm confusing two people, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember that as of recent of the first four episodes. Um, so and I'm, I, I'm pretty hazy on whether or not or where it gets introduced anyway. But um, but that's interesting though if they were to do something like that because it kind of makes sense. Uh, I mean, it's kind of skipping ahead to Shonda visiting Tucci, but I I didn't get the connection there. But that's an inter- if that's the connection that makes sense to me. That would make it a better scene. It feels like something that they left out, um, possibly for time or something like that. Both episodes four and five are long for the show. They're both like 55 minutes each, and the first two are more like 44, so Hmm. they might have had to cut some stuff down. But then um, Deb and the security guard, uh, Tucci, are at the hospital. The guards awaken being measured for prosthesis by Rudy. It's Rudy's first appearance on the show. Um, Rudy and the guard are jokingly fighting over who gets to ask Deb out. Um, despite the pantsuit, and Dokes is trying to get information from him, but he keeps goofing around with Deb. 
The guard talks a bit about the rats, and Deb suggests blindfolding him to help his memory. He kind of freaks out, and Dokes leads Deb away from him. Well, Deb makes so many mistakes in this episode right out of the gate. She left the cigarette at the crime scene. She's making googly eyes with the prosthetic guy while she's with the the victim in this crime. And then she's kind of a little flirty with him, too. It's just like, Deb, sit down. Take a seat. Calm down. Yeah. She does, you know, later on she does say she's trying uh, new tactics, new approaches. You know, I mean, a good cop, a good detective, they've got to keep it fresh. they got to keep working out new ways to get information. And I think Deb's just utilizing that pantsuit so well. <laughs> well, she's good. She's doing her coffee with one cream, one sugar, one cocaine. And I think that's <laughs> amping her up a little bit more than usual. She has yeah. zero chill. There, there are a couple scenes where she's like shaking. She's like so excited to be doing actual detective work. I'm convinced that she's always shaking because she's so cold. <laughs> she's always twitchy. It's kind of like uh, Jack Skellington. Like when you see <laughs> from Nightmare Before Christmas. Like it's like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's just bones and a pantsuit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and a skull. Poor girl. We are just completely thin shaming her. Yeah. Yeah. How dare her be skinny? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, then Dokes and Deb interview uh, a weirdo who Dokes determines is a looky loo. Um, this guy comes back in the future, but he doesn't play any part in this episode, really, except for showing up and being weird. And um, Dokes admonishing admonishes Deb for the blindfold suggestion. Um, he's kind of had enough of her. Uh, Masuka tells Dokes that the rats may have taken evidence to their nests, and that leads to them going back. Uh, Deb's still trying to get info from Tucci. Dokes surprises them both by suggesting they use the blindfold, and that leads Tucci to remember the smell of menthol cough drops and the rats. They go back to the crime scene and find the menthol lozenge wrapper in the rats' nests, and then Dexter, we see him putting supplies together at the station to uh, go after the human trafficking guy, but he's drawn into the group waiting for Misuka to find the partial print on the wrapper and ends up sneaking out in the confusion. And then Dokes actually compliments Deb for her police work. I feel like the um, the Boston wrappers are red herring. Like, I know, because I'm just not remembering the rest of the season, and it probably has some significance, maybe. I don't know. But, like, to me, if a serial killer is that uh, that um, messy and leaves behind, like, uh, even the smallest bit of evidence, in, in any any possibility, I mean, anything. Like, the cigarette butt could have been a thing, but it wasn't. But this lozenge wrapper, you know, like... I, it's almost like if you're really good at what you do, which we think the ice truck killer is, because he's like this seems like a really smart, intelligent killer. The lozenge seems like a red herring to throw them off or to like get them away from the scent of who it really truly could be, or like because even what Tucci talks about the whispering and the and the way the guy moves and all this stuff. It's like it's almost like. He intentionally needs to do things to make sure that people don't recognize him, you know? I mean, for obvious reasons later on in the episodes, 
we know we find out who the killer is but like that's crazy <laughs> you know yeah i think it's a plant which i remember nothing maybe i'm giving something away but i don't remember if it is but i feel like it's a plant because he'd be too smart to just oops drop this yeah mm-hmm. agree with you and i might be completely wrong on my theory too but i i feel like he probably did it on purpose just to distract them or maybe send them down the wrong route yeah, I don't remember either if it was uh, something he said intentionally or if he just, when he was cleaning up, uh, he didn't find his wrapper because there were billions of rats down there, like, picking up everything that hit the floor, so. I guess that would affect your cleanliness a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, and, like, the whole police department is excited that they found this because it is the only the only connection to the actual killer at this point that they think they have it even a partial print which i'm no forensics expert by any means but a partial print i mean even deb's like if they bring him in for anything anything and i'm like how many people live in miami (laughs) (laughs) i mean anything who how you're gonna be scanning partial prints all day long i don't know it it seems like a lot to be that excited over but it's a drama tv show and i get it it just does on cocaine and coffee all the time so (laughs) yeah well dokes told you about the fucking rats so (laughs) i forgot about the fucking rats foreshadowing (laughs) yeah uh deb takes sean to tucci's hospital bed as like a thank you i guess so she's cool with like prostitution well we already know she's she's cool (laughs) LaGuardia always goes and tells her to talk to her hookers it's her hookers she can do with them as she pleases what's wrong with being a hooker (laughs) that's just what that one hooker kept saying um yeah Deb and Rudy make eyes at each other across the hall um and that's pretty much the end of the ice truck killer uh plot line for this episode uh the other plot line uh or the other main plot line is the human trafficking one uh which is started out by Rita finding uh, an upset housekeeper or maid at the hotel. Um, her husband's coyote is trying to extort her for more money, which she doesn't have. Uh, Rita assures her that Dexter will know what to do. She tells Dexter about it, and he's uh, Dexter is eating too much too fast to respond to Rita's questions. Uh, he finally answers that the one thing he always wanted in life was an Atari. <laughs> Which is really a great scene. <laughs> She's trying to like, you know, ask him if there's anything in life that he really, really wants, and or if there's ever like a dream that he had, which dovetails into the end of the episode. But uh, yeah, he's his mouth is completely full of food, and then he's just kind of like, well, Cody would make fun of the graphics now, but I always did kind of want an Atari twenty six hundred. He's just being honest. Yeah. Was this the same? Was this the same housekeeper that she gave the dog to in the last episode? Because they looked incredibly similar. I think it was. Kind of makes sense why she's helping her out. Yeah. Or she sees her around a lot. Like maybe her work friend or whatever. Yeah, I think um, it was. Yeah. Um. So that leads to Dexter talking to some kind of an expert with the police about the extortion schemes. And Dexter is interested in the schemers as being deserving of death for what they're doing. 
He goes to a junkyard that's most likely being run by the coyote that Elena was dealing with, and he pretends to be there looking for a car part. And so there's this great, like, Dexter taking on a fake persona thing, uh, talking to this guy. He also manages to find out the guy has a boat. Um, The coyote scoffs at him about uh, Dexter speaking to him in Spanish, and Dexter says, I thought you were Cuban, and the coyote says, I'm American, man, just like you. Then Yelena's on the beach again. Rita walks up and shakes her head. Dexter couldn't find anything. Uh, Dexter breaks into the junkyard in his killing outfit. He discovers where the illegals are being kept chained, and then a body washes up on the beach, which turns out to be Yelena's husband. When they go to the morgue, Rita tells Dexter that the housekeeper may need a shoulder to cry on, and Dexter realizes that that's a bad sign, that uh, he's no longer considered a shoulder to cry on. Uh, There's a flashback to where a girl is trying to get Dexter to ask her to a dance, and Harry's there to translate that the importance of doing normal things because he's not normal. The, that uh, that scene, Dexter mentions that uh, Angel comes up to him and talks to him about his going out for drinks because he got a pay bump. And <laughs> it sets off another sad Angel plot. Line. We'll get to it. We'll, oh, we will get to it. <laughs> okay. Um. I can't take any more sad Angel plots. That's all we have. He's just a sad, sad bastard. That's all there is. Uh, Dexter spies on the coyote's house from his boat, The Slice of Life. You notice that Hector has a seemingly oblivious wife. Um, Dexter figures out the coyote's dumping illegals in the ocean who don't pay the extortion. And then Rita calls and asks Dexter if she, uh, if they think that they'll catch the killer. Um, Dexter says he'll come over with a DVD, something light for them to watch, and it cuts to him renting Terms of Endearment. Uh, So Rita is just bawling at the end. Uh, He then tries to cry by just keeping his eyes open, which makes him look completely insane. He's just like staring at her with his (laughs) eyes wide open. Um, And then his next tactic is to go down on her. And Rita is like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, she's distraught and not in the mood. Um, I thought that's what most women... Isn't that when most women are, like, really in the mood? It's <laughs> like when they're crying? When they're crying? <laughs> mm. Well, <laughs> from the female perspective, no. <laughs> no. Um, Wrong, man. No, man. Uh, he seems like he's really not picking up on those context clues no. very well. <laughs> Not, I mean, always, not the time. Terms of Endearment is an extremely sexy movie. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, I've always gone with Beaches. I found that one works really well. Still Magnolias. Oh, yeah. Still, <laughs> Still Magnolias and Beaches. Oh. Yep, those are your top two right there. If you Sophie's get Choice. Uh, fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, Fried Green Tomatoes. That, uh, that leads in real well. But yeah, Sophie's Choice is my favorite because it's sort of like... That's a strong choice. That's a romance <laughs> romance right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a flashback where Dexter comes home from the dance and asks if one day he'll feel real feelings for a woman. Uh, Harry hopes so. Dexter goes out to the coyote's boat to get more evidence, and he founds a bunch of burner phones and a cargo hold full of water and dead bodies. Uh, the coyote shows up in a van and takes off with the bodies to dump them. And then 
back at the junkyard. He shows up with another van load of illegals. Uh, but Dexter's left a row of candles out as bait that lead him to an airstream where Dexter sets him up the kill room. Suddenly, his wife arrives in the yard. Dexter watches as she checks the barn and is just as heartless to the illegals. Uh, the wife says to them, get back in there, you human piece of shit. Uh, the husband and wife then wake up together on Dexter's table, and Dexter is shocked when they tell each other to each other they love each other. And he asks them for advice, basically asks them how they love each other after 12 years. They answer that they share the same dream. And Dexter says, that's helpful. And then he gags them and kills them. That's my favorite scene so far, when he's sitting there asking them for love advice as they're on the kill tables. Yeah, it's great. How how awkward was it when the wife said, get back in there, you human piece of shit? Like, <laughs> who says that outside of pod people? Somebody who deserves to die on the kill table. Yeah, I think that's the point, is to like make her as, as deserving as possible with one line of dialogue. I was, I was going to say, uh, I was kind of not necessarily confused or thrown, I guess I was a little thrown off by the fact that they kept calling him a coyote because I mean in my mind and I know that not coyotes can come in different forms but um, uh, this guy's awful he's he's kind of the, like one of the, the top of the worst of coyotes but like normally you hear about coyotes being the ones who are sort of in the middle of it and they're, they're the ones that you know they meet up with a group of, of immigrants or people that are trying to cross the border and uh, uh, and they and they like get them through the Rio Grande or whatever you know like this guy was straight up like I mean like human trafficking essentially you know like it wasn't even like a they had a chance yeah that's my mistake Zach because I when I took notes I kept calling him the coyote and I think his name is Jorge um, and you're right the the coyote is the one that brings them across the border. He was just, like, holding them, and he's the one essentially running the scam for the extortion. Um, the mm. police say that that's pretty common, and I think, unfortunately, that is pretty true, that they, they don't tell uh, the family until they've made it to the other side that there's going to be this extra payment or they're going right. to the, kill the people. So, yeah, technically, he's not a coyote. Mm. He's more of a human trafficking guy. And people don't always think, people tend to think of human trafficking as uh, part of the sex trade, not necessarily as part Mm -hmm. of uh, kidnapping and extortion plots, but it is kind of the same thing here. Yeah, I think they did reference him as as a coyote at least once. I feel like the the wife did or something like that. It was the the, uh, expert that Dexter talked to. She yeah, says the so, coyotes yeah. come out. The coyotes get them over, and then request more money. And so you just assume that he's a coyote. Yeah, it's just it's a weird thing because I mean it, it, it's like uh, the transference of people in that regard. Uh, at what at what level you know people are being paid to do what job? And like there are some people like this guy who obviously clearly takes advantage of it and has lots of money from it, whereas like he's not necessarily taking. The over the border risk, I guess he just he just he just accepts them or intercepts intercepts them. Well, and it's it's uh, Miami, so it's it's Cuban illegals, um, which are coming by yeah. sea, and so they don't really explain how he's acting as a coyote to get people across uh, across the ocean like that. But yeah, like you could 
uh, extrapolated out into he's like shipping in destroyed cars or something like that, and that's how they're getting in. But uh, oh yeah, they never really get into the specifics of how he does it. I know. I don't know why it bothered me so much. It just did. I was just like, this just doesn't seem like this is how this would work. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess it does. You know? Because yeah, he gets a, he gets a van full. Dexter, the Dexter writers don't always fact check, so they didn't really research into making it accurate. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I mean, they didn't even get the Lara Croft outfit right, so. Ugh, jeez, but they got that pantsuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he finishes packing the bodies into the car. Uh, as he drives off, we see an eye watching him from the car's trunk. And then Dexter mm-hmm. unlocks the barn, freeing the illegals and the... He goes to a spot in the ocean and drops the coyotes couple's bodies overboard and adds their slide to his collection. So, yeah. me, me and Dale were talking about this uh, earlier today. When he's dumping the bodies, it shows... He, he mentions that he loves this place. There are a lot of buried memories there. And then it flashes to his fish finder, which he's not really in that deep of water. I think it was like 200 feet, and it's showing crystal picture. We were were discussing, why would you leave your bodies in a way that a fish finder could see them? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's a a risk. That's a big risk. Uh, With all of the technology, even at that point, when the timeline would have been happening... It was still it was a a level of technology that could have I think also easily yeah like you said found the any evidence or anything while you were out there. That is a giant gaping plot hole that I had never really thought about. Well, it's he construes it through what he says mixed with how the camera pans to it that he can still see them down there. The the fish finder doesn't actually show them. Um, it sh- just shows some fish, but... But you had to tell me that. The episode yeah. makes it seem like that's how he visits the bodies that he's left. Mm-hmm. I didn't know enough about fish finders to know that they don't, like, detect, I don't know, I don't know what it would be <laughs> used for, like, people going and trawling lakes for bodies, but... Um, yeah, they're like large objects, though, right? I mean, fish fish finders, the point of them is to find mass large mass underwater yeah but i think it's movement too it's movement based as well it actually when it sees a fish it is picking up on the air inside a fish because for a fish to float it has an air bladder and so the air bubble inside the fish is what you're actually seeing on the fish finder i i know this because i i actually work for the company that makes that fish finder (laughs) So I under- well, who knew this was going to become an educational episode here? We're learning yeah. so much today. But I think it's I think it's important to realize that like the only person that understood that that wasn't what they were showing was the person that works for the company that makes the fish finder. Yeah. Um, Unfair um, advantage. And the 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 show was definitely using it like he had radar for where all his bodies were. So. Yeah, it's more, it's more like a GPS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's not what that it actually model does. Is. It actually is. It's a, it's a chart plotter fish finder combination unit. Oh, wow. <laughs> you are welcome. 
<laughs> I am going to wow. take this information with me. <laughs> I can't wait to educate people about fish finders. Dexter's modified it with the let the bodies hit the floor firmware, so it does find bodies now. <laughs> well, clearly we have to take the we have to take this up with the writers. We have to contact them, let them know about these inconsistencies in the show. Yeah. We've got a lot to talk to them about. Add this to the list of grievances. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Speaking of grievances, let's talk about Dexter and Angel's party, <laughs> um, which is like the saddest thing that happens in this episode. So uh, Dexter tries appealing to Angel's being married to get him to leave the party, but Angel refuses to mention that he's been separated. Uh, Dexter asks for advice about being more emotionally available, and this is where Angel gives him the idea to perform fo- or to focus on performing oral sex. La passion. Yeah, <laughs> as he says it, um, which, as we know, does not work out well for Dexter. <laughs> um, there's another flashback to Harry getting Dexter ready for the dance. Harry talks about how women can sense if you're not emotionally vulnerable while you're having sex. Um, so that's. Dexter's belief and Dexter's uh, phobia of getting too close. Uh, Dexter drives a passed out Angel to his estranged wife's house. She's surprised to learn that Angel got a raise and tells Dexter that they've separated. And uh, Dexter has to wake up Angel the next morning in Dexter's apartment. Angel's like, so you live here, huh? Angel stands by the AC unit to cool off and... There's a shot from the back that shows how close he's standing to the blood slides. Miserable Angel and his uh, his philandering and his his broken marriage are all out for Dexter to see in this episode. He just can't win. The poor guy. Uh, I mean, I feel like he gave Dexter some pretty sound advice. La passion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that went over real well. Well, I mean, he, he it was too late in terms of endearment. It was just We're too- talking about Dexter, <laughs> like a guy that can't pick up on normal signals, and you're going to ask him to, like, just... So- <laughs> yeah. So... I, I got two things. First, I think it's funny that they call it a pay bump. Um, like, the most unprofessional way to say you've gotten a raise is to say the word pay bump. It's like a bro thing. Like, I got a pay bump, bro. Like, it's such a weird... It, it does make it such a bro-y interaction between him, which is, like, funny. Like, Dexter's like, I don't know what I did to make him think we're like this, which is it's just so robotic the way he thinks. And then... You know, Angel's like his, his bro, his best bud. Um, but then the other thing. So in the in the previous episode, he goes to his wife and he's like, baby, it's our 10 years. I'm so sorry. I messed up. Da, 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 da. She's like, no, I still need time. And I don't think we even knew they were like separated. She's just like, I still need time. I'm not ready yet. So then we see him partying out with these women who I mean, you know, clearly, like he's. It seems like he wants to hook up with, or I, I don't. I would assume that's his his goal. Like it's almost like he can't control himself, no matter what he says. Well, he explains it to Dexter yeah. that basically he's allowed to go out and act this way as long as he brings it home to his wife. That's the that's the right. answer he gives Dexter. 
Right, which is bullshit because <laughs> he's not going home to his wife. He's just like, you know. I mean, we get the we get the wonderful la passion from it, but it's, but it, but it, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's but it's garbage though. If you it, like, because he's not like he's like you know he's out partying, and he's clearly not thinking about his wife, or he wouldn't be out partying. I don't know. It's just. Well, I mean, the scene directly after where Dexter wakes him up and gives him coffee, uh, Angel is still trying to hold it under wraps by saying, oh, you go on ahead, I'll close up, I gotta swing by home, my wife gets worried, you know, things like that. And it's just sad. It's just so sad. Yeah, well, and you were talking about, um, like, Angel thinks that Dexter's his best friend and Dexter can't figure that out. It's sort of Angel's own naivete in that uh, he's got a guy that is not very together but doesn't know, like, Dexter doesn't have enough willpower to, like, tell Angel he does not, he absolutely will not go out and celebrate with him. He's just stuck there all night because that's what he has to do to appear normal. So to Angel, it appears like he's more of a friend than he really is. He's really like just stuck with Angel because he can't make the excuse to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, another shot of Patron, then why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how does that phrase uh, work for you, Brooke? Is that which phrase? Another shot of Patron. That one works great uh, for me, but Passion. <laughs> Yeah, that's spoiler alert. That's going to be my worst line of the episode. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No. She was feeling that. That doesn't. That doesn't work. Drier than the Sahara, I, I would say, would be the reaction on that. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Um. So yeah, that's it for this one. Uh, the director was again uh, Robert Lieberman. It's his last episode with them. Um. There's an epilogue uh, with Dexter and Rita. Uh, Dexter asks Rita if she has a dream, which is what he learned from the uh, human traffickers. Rita asks him if he does, and they both end up answering a normal life, which means significantly different things to the two of them. Uh, And the episode ends with another use of this song that they keep using early in the show that sounds kind of like the intro to House of the Rising Sun. Um that probably just annoys me more than anybody else because it's like such a cheesy guitar riff um that'll down 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 it's like the keytar version of yeah nothing wrong with the keytar yeah i mean it's it's not as bad as like how overused the blood theme becomes toward the end of the show but yeah it's it's one of my least favorite uh songs they use in the episodes so the director was Robert Lieberman again. Um, he of the D three Mighty Ducks fame. He he directed the uh, previous episode as well, and this one. This is his last one. After this, uh, he directed a couple of different things on television. Nothing really more than a few episodes at a time. Uh, the writer is Melissa Rosenberg, uh, which this is her first script, and. She previously wrote for Dark Skies and Party of Five. She's the screenwriter for all of the Twilight movies. So there's La Passion right there. Um, (laughs) On Dexter, she wrote eight episodes total and worked on the story or teleplay for three more. 
And then after Dexter, she was a creator and occasional writer on the Jessica Jones uh, Netflix show. So, uh, any nominations for best line of the episode? La Passion. <laughs> In honor of Brooke. No, no. <laughs> I, think that's, nope. I think that's clearly the worst line of the episode. <laughs> and they repeated it so many times. It's so good. No, I think that La Passion was was the worst and the best at being the worst. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah, it was it was just all you could ask for and more. It was both sides of Angel. It was Dexter's horrible reaction to the end of Terms of Endearment. <laughs> it was it was the the Alpha and Omega of the episode. It was the best of times, yeah. and it was the worst of times. Yes. Mostly the worst, because <laughs> nothing gets things going like Shirley MacLaine screaming in the hospital. In terms La Passion. Of <laughs> That's La Passion. Uh, who we would like to give the performance of the episode to? Uh, David Zayas. David Zayas is Sad Angel. <laughs> sad Angel is the best angel. <laughs> I was yeah. If it's not David Zayas, I would think it was uh, the the woman Shonda who plays Shonda the hooker. Shonda the hooker, really? Yeah, I think she 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 appears early on in the episode. And she gives Dokes the what for, but she is she is not messing around. But in the end, she's compassionate and she really likes a guy with a half a leg and one hand. Did she really? <laughs> I actually have to say that was my choice as well. Hey, she, really? that was a multi-layered performance. She did, did a lot. Yeah. I mean, a she, lot. She had episode. a character arc and got nominated. That's amazing. <laughs> it was a very brave, brave performance. That is pretty amazing. Okay. Well, I, I mean, as surprising as that is, I have to give it to you over Sad Angel because... He's already got both the best and worst line of the episode. <laughs> um, and no one's going to forget La Passion, but I'm probably going to forget Shonda in a few episodes. So, um, yeah. yeah, let's let's give it to Shonda, who may or may not have a prosthetic limb. It may come <laughs> up again. I don't remember. Yeah. I just seem and to remember that. some really weird transference on your part. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I'm watching a different show, and there's she plays a woman <laughs> with a prosthetic limb. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well... <laughs> With that, I will leave you with La Passion, and this is the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to my fellow podcasters for joining me, and uh, we will see you again very soon.